Huh? Yeah, whenever you're ready. <laughs> hey, everyone, I'm Kevin Wolf. And I'm David Oro, and you're listening to The Umbargo, the greatest PR podcast of all time. Damn straight. Whenever we get around to it. Which is usually every other week. We're going to talk about news, politics, sports, pop culture, business, whatever we want. All of it from the point of view of public relations and communication. We are all about punching stodgy PR in the face. That's right. So sit back, strap in, and let's get it on. I really like our new intro, Kevin. Every week I feel it. I'm hyped about it. It's working for me, too. I I might come onto this pod like, okay, you know, we got to record, get your game face on, but then the music hits. Like I'm ready to go. I, you know, makes me wonder how I'm like uh, I'm like Mookie Betts for the Los Angeles like Dodgers or Chris Taylor hitting a game-winning home run last do. night. Oh, I know you saw that. I know I, you saw I, that. We're I coming know, for I the felt, Giants. I felt that. I felt We're coming that. for you. Yeah. I felt that. I felt that. I felt that, and I was like, okay, it's on. So Kevin's yeah. a Dodgers fan. I'm a Giants fan, and uh, we will meet on tomorrow night, Kevin. That's right. Yeah, That's that right. was for the first time in the playoffs. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, first time in the playoffs, those two teams are meeting, so th- it should be a good one. Um, and that's quite the rivalry here, rivalry here on the West Coast. Uh, all right, so today's October seventh. We've got another great show of the embargoed ready to go, and and this is a conversation that we've been wanting to have for a long time, and I think the industry has been trying to have for years. It definitely didn't exist when I started out my career. Um, but now it's more in limelight in the forefront. And we're going to be talking about diversity um, and, 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 uh, and inclusion, right? So yep. we are going to be talking about that. And today uh, we have a guest with us. Her name is Carmela Glover. She is the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the Page Society and President of the Diversity Action Alliance. Uh, and I'm going to let her talk about all of that. So welcome to the show, Carmela. Thank you, David and Kevin. Thank you for having me. This is definitely an important conversation. And uh, I like that this is a, a forum where we're going to have fun with it. So Yeah, I know we need to have fun with it. And I reached out to Carmela. I was cruising the internet and uh, her name came up and I was like, oh, Kevin's been wanting to talk about this for a while and we were wanting to talk about it and we wanted to find the right person to talk about it and I'm like oh this is perfect she's in communications she's running uh DEI efforts and uh she's also the president of the diversity action alliance so go t- tell us about you what do you do how'd you get here uh so sure absolutely I am right now of course I'm doing uh diversity equity and inclusion communications uh, the nonprofits that I work for, the Page Society, which, as uh, you know, is a, a premier communications organization. It's a membership organization for CCOs um, of leading companies globally. Uh, so that's Fortune 500 companies, Global 500 companies, CEOs of agencies. Uh, we also have members who are uh, leading business and communication schools. So all the top communicators in the world. Uh, and the organization serves to really strengthen the, the profession um, and how we do business. So the Diversity Action Alliance uh, is my other job. And at the Diversity Action Alliance, we are a coalition of PR trade organizations. So uh, the Institute for Public Relations, PRSA, PAGE, of course, is a part of that. Uh, there's about 15 of uh, the trade organizations that have come together on that includes HPRA, Beepers, Colorcom. Um, so kind of the ones that, that you all know that, that, uh, that um, 
PR folks are a part of, right? So um, we've come together and decided that uh, diversity, equity, inclusion is no longer um, just a moral imperative, particularly for PR, uh, for um, PR and communications. And so we are tasking the, the world's leaders of communications to, to do something about it. Um, it's critically essential and we are focused on people of color. That's our first, first focus. So Carmelo, it goes uh, to show how important this issue is. You actually have two jobs doing this. Yes. Right? It, it, it's not enough just that you got to do it one time and one job. You got to do it twice. Um, how do you find time for all that? I'm, uh, my mind's spinning just thinking about how you might handle that. How do you, how do you deal with uh, juggling both those things at the same time? Well, there's a lot of overlap. Uh, a lot of the folks who are, sorry, and you're going to hear my dog whining in the background. I apologize about that. Um, there's a lot of overlap. A lot of the folks who are uh, members of PAGE um, are our target audience at the Diversity Action Alliance. So we believe that in order for diversity, equity, and inclusion to be important, it's got to be important to the leaders. And so, uh, as you know, PAGE has done some research about the chief communications officer as the pace setter of the organization as you know, primary counsel from, you know, uh, for the CEO. Um, and so that's our target audience and it, it makes sense. It makes it easy for me. I, I talk to all the same people all the time, whether I'm talking to them with my page hat on or my DAA hat on, and normally they can't really tell the difference. <laughs> so, so, so let's talk about those, dive a little bit deeper into the organization because a lot of comms professionals or PR professionals are very familiar with PRSA. Uh, the page society is, is a different focus on just chief comms officers. Is that what you... Is that how we should it's not it? So it's not just chief comms officers. I think our, the, the most recent research uh, relates to chief comms officers, but it's also folks who are leading PR agencies. So, and, you know, if you look at PR Week's, you know, top ranked US uh, and global PR agencies, their CEOs or someone from their organization is a member of PAGE as well. So anyone who's leading communication. So that includes nonprofits, that includes government organizations. Uh, Page Society is uh, is for all leading communicators. Uh, there is, you know, there's some uh, qualifications that come with that. Um, so we don't have a we don't have a ton of boutique uh, CEO, um, boutique PR agency CEOs. But um, it, it's it's a different it's a little bit of a different demographic when it um, when you think about diversity, equity, and inclusion because most of the leaders in our field are are white men, right? So yeah, no um, kidding. How how long has this been a focus for you? personally, Carmelo, in terms of uh, pushing DEI uh, as, a, as a corporate focus? Well, you know, I started as an engineer. Uh, so as a woman and a black woman in engineering, uh, it, I kind of inherently fell into diversity because as my career progressed, um, there were less and less women in the room, uh, less and less uh, African-American people or even any people of color in the room. And I just started naturally kind of advocating for uh, more diversity. And it wasn't intentional, it was, it just, I mean, innovation in general is better when you have different people in the room with different perspectives. And as an engineer, I just couldn't see how we were gonna get things done with a, a homogenous room, so. And when you, when you started really focusing on this, how receptive were your employers or the people that you were talking to when you were advocating for this, uh, for, for change in this way. I, I'm just curious because I, I, Dave, like when we started out, you know, 25 some odd years ago, we, we just, quite honestly, this just never came up, right? No one was talking about this. Um, so 
Uh, I'm curious. It, 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 it came up with me, Kevin. I was the only Asian dude in the room, bro. <laughs> so did you, I know. Okay. That's a good way to start. Then did you bring I, it up? Did you say, Hey, no, why I mean, am I the only Asian dude in the room? Yeah, and no, we're all the black I mean, women. Was, like, did that come like, up? Did you bring that up? Did anybody say anything I, about I, that? I'll tell you what, you know, and, and Kevin, you know, as my best Jewish friend, you, you. right. Yeah. I never met more Jewish people in my life, man. Then I started working at Fleischmann Hillard, which actually right. has a Jewish name. And I, and I, and I grew up in the military um, and, you know, enlisted family. And we were, it was mixed race all around. But you know who's not in the military? A bunch of Jewish guys. Right. <laughs> you know why? Because we were all working at PR firms. Right? <laughs> no, but you're right, right? I mean, the place was just, you know, it was white guys everywhere for the most part. And, you know, it, it just, like, I didn't, I didn't see, you know, a Carmela talking about like, hey, pay attention to this issue. That's what I'm trying to understand, like, you know, how, um, how recent is this, not in terms of it being necessary or important, but how recent is the advocacy? I mean, I would say it's fairly recent. Actually, I take that back. There's ebbs and flows over the years. So I, I know David mentioned earlier um, in the show that, you know, some people have been focusing on this for decades, right? I have, um, I have a, a screenshot of a, like a Newsweek publication from like the 60s that talks about the Negro in America. It's a program for action, right? So we've been talking about at least since the civil rights era, right? So the six, I would say the 60s when the Civil Rights Act came out. And like every 10 years, there's like the, another boost of it's, this is important. Here's why it's important, additional research. Uh, I think more recently, uh, the business roundtable redefining the, the purpose of a corporation uh, and then, of course, the racial reckoning that happened, a, you know, a year later with George Floyd. There's always something that happens that's an impetus for like, now it's important again. Yeah. Um, I think this time it's going to stick. I think there's a lot more uh, expectations for corporations to uh, to kind of walk the walk and not have performative or uh, just kind of check the box initiatives. In the past, they have been like government mandated. So going back to like the Civil Rights Act, there's been a lot of things that you know, even the fact that large organizations have to report to the EEOC uh, on an, you know, on an annual basis. It's all been because we have to do this. And uh, consumers are more um, informed now. Social yeah. media and technology uh, give us everything at our fingertips. And I think there's, 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 it's table stakes at this point. There's, there's yeah. no Car Car Carmela, you bring up a good point, right? So before it was government mandated, right? Like you had to integrate your schools or there was, you know, some support around affirmative action and whatever, but you businesses never made it a point for themselves to follow that along unless they had to. You mentioned the business roundtable making making um, changing what they their definition of what businesses' roles in society. I remember reading that. Can you expand on that for our listeners and what that actually said? Uh, and I know that diversity and equality and exclusion was in there, right? So yeah, no, absolutely. And it wasn't in there before, right? It wasn't as yep. part of the the purpose of a corporation. Uh, and, and when this group of leaders got together, it, previously the, the, the philosophy around that was the most important stakeholder is the shareholder, right? The, those who, who have our, the stocks, right? Because if we're businesses, you know, we're, we're here to make money, right? And our shareholders are who we, and our investors, those are who we, you know, we need to really make sure that we prioritize. Uh, in reprioritizing, the shareholders didn't go away. 
they just moved down to the bottom of the list, right? They're still important. And, and now of course we have activist investors too. So right, it's, it's kind of all melding together. Um, but it, it really is a, uh, a dynamic shift in, in archaic philosophies that, you know, we only need to care about the money when it comes to the business. Cause now the money is connected to uh, diversity and inclusion and respond, you know, being a responsible organization. So if you're going to make money, you've got to prioritize those things, not just the shareholders. And nine times out of 10, if you prioritize those things, your shareholders are going to be happy. So, you, you know, we, we, we're going to talk a little bit about representation, about communications, because you guys have a, you guys did a study of, you know, overall racial and ethnic diversity in communications. But Kevin and I work in technology um, and uh, some of these places, it's all white management staff with. Asian or Indian engineers, right? Mm -hmm. And that's about it. I mean, there's very little diversity throughout Silicon Valley. And it's something that they're trying to address. Folks are now coming out with um, diversity reports, DEI reports, understanding not just either a racial makeup, but pay equity, right? Mm -hmm. Making sure that women are on par. I actually had an experience with a former client, Micron Technology, that did this and they they made a concerted effort to increase the diversity in micro microns based out of Boise, Idaho. Boise, Idaho is already not ethnically too diverse. It's more so now. Um, but the CEO came in and he was the first outside of Idaho to be there. He's Indian and he hired a diversity chief to be part of that. Um, but the numbers were start startling. 93% white throughout the company. Mm -hmm. The rest were probably in Asia, right? Because that's where they had the factories. Uh, but they are making those steps now. Google's doing it. Facebook is trying to do it. Salesforce is a leader in this. They've done some really good work on that. So I think you're right. It is probably uh, different this time. And it's sticking around. Like this, Wait I was second. working on this Wait four years ago. ago. Yeah. I, I think I, I'm not, uh, you know me, I'm negative Nelly. And, uh, and I don't want to, I don't want to say you're wrong, but I do want to push back on the point that the companies want to do this. It feels to me like there's a lot of narrative around it, but I also feel like employees are pushing companies in this direction, uh, whether they want to do it or not. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of it, I think we might have finally found a good reason to have social media because I think it's responsible for a lot of that push. And, uh, and that might not have existed before. So there, there may have been awareness and, uh, uh, but I, I don't know if there was as much action as there would have been over the last couple of years um, in terms of pushing this stuff if it weren't for social media mm -hmm. and it weren't for, you know, what I would call, you know, I'm a big sports fan, Dave. You know, we talk about, you know, like the NBA in particular and the NFL, we talk about uh, player empowerment, which mm -hmm. has become a big deal over the last probably five years where the players have much a much stronger voice than they had before. And a lot of that has to do with social media and having a platform and pushing their organizations and the leagues to take action. Um, and uh, I, I feel like that's, that's really what's driving this. Carmela, how much of this um, action from companies is narrative and, and how much of it is, you know, sincere in progress? Well, uh, you know, I actually, I'll, I'll, I'll backpedal a little bit and agree with you and say that one, it's the employee push, right? For, uh, employees are our first stakeholders and now they have access to social media. Uh, of, of course, folks who have the platform, I think even regardless of social media, I'm thinking 
since since we're talking sports, I'm thinking back when when Michael Jordan was uh, was looked at as someone who had a platform. You know, we watched him on TV, and what you know, if he was to say something about something, you know, from an activist perspective, I think he would have you know still had an, an effect. The other thing I'll say is um, there are regulate regulatory organizations that are pushing for this now. I'm thinking about particularly about. Um, state of California, right, where their their laws are, are mandating what some people are calling quotas, but how else are we are going to are we going to move forward? Right. So it is it is more of a push. Um, and I'm thinking about NASDAQ and the proposal they made to the SEC uh, for board diversity. And, uh, you know, although the proposal was approved in in like a tweaked fashion, it wasn't the original proposal. I think it signifies that well, one, there's there's a plenty of research that shows that diversity is is linked to profitability. So I think the companies who are at the forefront of innovation uh, and growth, they want to do it and they want to do it right because they want to win and they want to win in business, right? They want to win, share a voice. They want to win uh, in the market. Uh, the companies who don't want to do it uh, maybe think that they don't have a diverse uh, stakeholder group. Maybe they don't think they need to. It's never affected their business because they haven't focused on it. Uh, and I think they'll quickly find that uh, that's not the case for them. Um, I've I've heard it particularly in like the financial sector, like hedge funds and uh, right. and VC, right? You know, we don't you know we don't have a huge population of people of color. It really doesn't affect us whether we focus on that or not. That's that's changing. Um, of course, in in STEM fields, right? So you you guys are familiar with that being in tech and STEM fields. There's there's been a little bit of reticence around focusing on DEI, but. I, they could, if they don't want to do it and they're, they're hesitant and they, they hold back on the real efforts, they'll see it in their profits. Uh, you know, I feel confident about that, particularly because of the spending power that's in Generation Z, young millennials and women and people of color that there's huge spending power there. And, they, and people are really choosy now about where they want to spend their money. Carmelo, so let me ask this. How do you deal with, okay, so there's, if there's not enough representation in some of these positions and in these roles, sometimes it is because they're not even in that industry or field, right? Science, tech, or some marketing. And they're, they're just not enough people of color or women involved in those fields. How, do you champion that? How do you talk about that? And how do companies deal with that when they want to be more diverse, but they're just aren't any qualified candidates. I mean, you know, you and I know that they're not just going to put a black dude or an Asian woman on staff unless they got the smarts first of all, right? So we got to have that first, but you have to be qualified. So, uh, David, you know, it's a myth that there that there are no qualified candidates who aren't white, right? Because just the sheer demographics of our nation, right? Mm -hmm. The Census Bureau just just uh, released, you know, our, what our demographics look like. It is, uh, it's, it's nearly impossible um, for there to be an industry where there's just not enough people. Unless you think about the indigenous people, right? They're, they only make up 2% of our Yep. At, right, I can see that. Um, but the Latinx and Hispanic heritage makes up 18, almost 20% of our population. If I just, I, I try not, to, I try not to miss my words when it comes to, we can't find good, talent uh of color where are you looking what you know where are you sourcing your talent from i could give you someone in every field every single field that you can name for me i could tell you i've got a friend 
uh, or friend of a friend, somebody who's in that field. It's, it's just not true. Um, yeah. it, it's usually, it's, it's usually a lack of effort, not, not trying hard enough, not being focused on that, on that goal enough, but, but let me flip this. Sorry, Dave, did you have a follow-up to that? No, no. I just kind of wanted to hear her opinion. And I think that's a good opinion on that. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's a strong take. So, so let me just flip this a little bit. I've got a friend who works at a big tech company out here. He's a, uh, in, in a vice president role. And, you know, he and I were talking recently and he was, you know, explaining to me that he is, uh, as part of a, his management role, he's very focused on diversity and, and it's being encouraged and uh, really driven by HR and senior leadership at the company. And, you know, he's explaining to me how he's spending like an increasing amount of his time uh, on that issue, on, on trying to diversify his staff, on diversify his team. He's got several hundred people who work for him. And he was, frankly, he was lamenting, you know, the fact that he's only got so much time in the day. He wasn't hired for that job, right? He's, he's in a product uh, capacity. Mm-hmm. And so he's hired to build this product and lead this team and build this great product that people love and use. And he's like, you know, Kevin, I, I want to diversify. I get it. I understand why it's important. At the same time, you know, it's a zero sum game. I only have so much time uh, in my day. So, so how do how do I rationalize that? So, so what would you say to someone who's trying to balance the need for and importance of uh, diversity with, you know, shit? I only have so much time to do what you paid me to, you know, what you hired me to do. Yeah. No, it's it's um it's a good question. We get it a lot. Uh, you know, we tend to spend t- more time in areas that challenge us, right? And so he would never say that if, you know, he had an issue budgeting, right, for his, for his department. If, you know, he, he would go and figure out how to do it, right? Whether it's, it's getting some training or reaching out to someone who's done it before, you know, doing some cross-functional work, you know, talking to some partners within the organization. Um, he could partner with the experts. I mean, H, I'm sure HR is not just like diversify your team and, and leaving him, uh, you know, high and dry. It, it's, it, I mean, DE&I is something that's been difficult to talk about. And because it's something we haven't talked about uh, explicitly until recently, um, folks just don't know what to say and not to say. They don't know what to do and not to do. Training is important. Um, it's critical. And it's that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like this is a challenge for me because it's something that I'm, I'm not versed in, and that's okay. Everyone's not going to be a DEI expert, um, but being an inclusive leader is, is synonymous with just being a good leader, right? And so um, you want your team to be diverse, to be have diverse perspectives, diverse backgrounds, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't know the background of, of you know, of this friend, but I, I can guarantee you, if this same uh, task was given to a person of color, you know, they would have no problem finding a qualified team that represents a diverse uh, spectrum of people. Uh, it's also about who you network with personally. You know, a, a lot of times we're recruiting people that we know, a friend of, you know, someone who was a great intern and, you know, for one of my colleagues or, and, and most of the time they, they, they look like us. And I can say that for me too. You know, I've, I've got a huge network of black people because, uh, you know, I'm a part of a, um, a, a black Greek organization and I grew up in a black family. Right. And so I, you know, I know as a diversity professional that it's not only is it important, but it's enriching for me. I grew up military too, David. So I grew up all over the, the, the country and appreciate different backgrounds. Yeah. Um, but one, it just sounds like an area that you need, you need to work on. I mean, it's if your group, your department is going to be innovative and profitable, you need a diverse team. And if you're struggling with that, ask for help. 
Um, there's, there's no shame in that. that that's some great advice. Um, you know, I mean, you just saying like, you know, if he's managing budgets and stuff and has to do that, it's part of your job and that's what you got to do. Right. right. So, mm -hmm. um, all right. So let, let's turn this focus into the PR industry, the communications industry um, and the diversity action Alliance published just in July of this year, the diversity action Alliance 2020 race and ethnicity in public relations and communications benchmark report. And Carmela, I'm going to give you an opportunity to kind of give an overview of that, but I'm just going to go to part one. <laughs> and this is one of the findings. I mean, you guys looked at organizations at all levels, and I think there was 12,000 people polled. Here we go. 78% of employees at PR firms or communication firms are white. 20% are racially or ethnically diverse. Of that, uh, 21%. Of that 21%, 7% are African-American or Black, 6% are Hispanic Latino, 6% are Asian, and 3% are two or more races with um, Hawaiian Native uh, or Native peoples basically being less than 1%. Mm -hmm. And then you have a bunch of other findings. Can you tell us about this report? How Did you work on it? Uh, how are you sharing it? What was surprising, et cetera? Yeah, so the Diversity Action Alliance, this was this is one of our major focuses um, in our, it's a benchmark report. So we're gonna continue to do this same report year over year to track progress. So it's really, we're using it as a, an accountability tool for the industry. Um, obviously with only 12,000 folks represented, it's not indicative of the entire industry. We're gonna be releasing an updated report in the fall, the same exact report with more participants uh, later this, well, well, I should say the winter, so later this year, um, and we'll have a progress report uh, for how we're doing um, since the, this data was initially collected. Um, not surprising to me at all. I mean, I, I, we have about 275 uh, signatory organizations, and, um, and this is the case for all of them, which is uh, data transparency is important, right? And, and in the PR industry, um, this was a scary thing, right? Which I think this this effort was was attempted a few years ago, and there was just so much hesitation around the data. But we're none of us are doing well. Like whether you're an agency or corporate, uh, we're all kind of in the same place, um, and so it, it made it a lot easier. That's that was the power of the collaborative effort. Let's just all share our data, and we'll all do better. Uh, we'll keep ourselves accountable uh, with this report. But yeah, nothing nothing really surprising for me in, in here, David. I think you know you can walk into the halls of any organization and, and say, yeah, that's about right. How about this, though? Do, do you get organizations that participated that uh, get asked about this, perhaps, or, or comment on it, and they try to spin, because these are PR people, and try to spin that, well, yeah, but, you know, we'll, look at the progress we made over the last six months, or look at this person that we hired in this position. So what kind of spin do you get in response to the report from people who participate or people you talk to about the data? You know, it's really hard to spin the data. The data is in black and white pun intended, right? <laughs> there, you can't argue with it. Yeah. Um, and your efforts are only as good as the impact that they have, right? The intention is great, but what is, what is, the, what is the outcome? What is the result? And that's, and that's what the type of accountability we're trying to drive with this report. Um, we haven't received too much pushback. And, and that, okay, I'll say that's the surprising part for me. We haven't received anyone who said, you know, we don't want our company's name on here because it looks bad for us. Um, you know, we've, we've got some questions about like, okay, this is not surprising to any of us. So now what? Well, um, just, just some of the facts are, 
it's not surprising, but it's still like um, arresting. So yeah. one of the kind of is, punches you in the face. You look at those yeah. charts, every one of those pie charts, yeah. 90% well, of the people are white in every right. one of those pie no, charts. No, I'm looking at the top leaders. So like agency CEOs, executive directors. And, you know, you said that 12,000 12, wasn't the whole industry. But you know what? Statistically, that's highly representative. Right. And so mm -hmm. this is a good sample. Yeah. Um, top leaders, 93% are white. 6% are Black, African-American, 1% are Latino, and Asian dudes like myself, they're not even on charting on there for people that you poll. So um, take me as a poll next time, and my little company, Oral Group, will be in there, right? Yes, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that that is like, whoa, oh gosh, we've got a long ways to go, right? And it gets a little bit better as you go down the ranks, when you get mid-level employees, now, 81% uh, white, and then it starts to mix out a little bit. But entering the, entering the employment in PR and comms, 74% of the folks are white, and only 8% are Asian or Latino, 7% are African-American. Mm -hmm. But, it, you know, in, in these, in the administrative roles in these groups, 56% are white and 17% are African-American. And, um, you know, but, you know, if you're going to get in the PR, you want to get in that PR role and get to the top right. there. Right. So, you know, at, at the administrative professionals, most of them are not on what we call like the PR track. Like some of them no. may end up being really interested in PR and like, you know, end up becoming like an AAE because they are so good at what they do and they really dived into it. But nine times out of 10, they're going from like administrative role one to administrative role two, like now level two. Yeah, right? correct. So they're not on the PR track. That is where we see the most diversity, but most of them are not going to end up, you know, on an account and having a career trajectory that could make them a, you know, a partner or a managing director or, you know, a principal somewhere. So, um, you know, we put that there just to emphasize that there are people who, you know, there, there are different avenues for us to, to, to feed into the leadership, right? And they don't necessarily have to come from you know, I've got a bachelor's degree in PR. You know what? Administrative professionals are sometimes the people who know the most, right? They're supporting CEOs, right? And um, whether they have a degree or not, they're leaned on very heavily, right? So yeah. if, if it is the case, right, that there's not a ton of people of color who are uh, PR professionals coming out of college, you, here's a source right here. You don't even have to go to a college fair. Or, you know what I mean? Like there's- Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, th thinking about this issue in terms of um, how do we fix it, uh, you know, one of the things I, I kind of, uh, I, I was thinking about this issue last summer, and I was talking to a client of mine, a uh, black man in Atlanta, about this issue, and, and we were like, yeah, you know, like, how does this, from a tech perspective, like in the technology industry, how do we address this? How do you, how do you get better representation? And a couple of the points that he made uh, the first one was, you know, access to capital. Uh, you look at um, raising money and tech companies, um, you know, are the, the vast majority of capital is doled out to, you know, to, to white founders, white entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs. So, right, you get more uh, black owned businesses, uh, uh, startups, tech companies that are owned by people of color you're more likely to get um, black communications professionals. I think that's one way. Another way is, you know, getting more people of color onto boards and into, you know, senior management positions early on uh, with these startups. I think, again, you're going to have this, 
uh, effect where you, people are going to, you know, you're going to be, you're more likely to find a, a black person or a person of color working as a PR or comms person for a company like that. Right. Carmelo, what do you, what's your take on that? Well, um, I find it a little bit, um, I, I will, I will agree with this part that you're more than likely to find someone in PR and comms versus in, you know, on the, on the tech side of it. Um, I again go back to where you're sourcing folks from, right? I'm thinking about organizations like uh, Black Girls Who Code, right? There's 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 tons of those organizations and and platforms for um, for people of color in general who are in the STEM fields, where um, you can find them and they're good communicators. Uh, I think I uh, not to toot my own horn, but I, I think I'm proof of concept. I came from engineering and I didn't even have to take one English class to get through college, right? Um, but I turned that into a communications career because of how important it was to be able to communicate the complexities of being in STEM uh, and being and the unique barriers, right, of being a person in STEM. I, I also think um, when there's the thought of we don't have enough qualified people, particularly in tech and in STEM, um, why? Why? The question is why? Um, and, and what does it take to get people there? So if you need to bring someone in the door who maybe doesn't fit, check all the boxes, what are the equity building tools you can do to get them up to speed? Somebody did that for me because uh, as an engineer, I, I knew nothing about public relations. I knew nothing about um, communications. I just knew that it was important in order for things to get done, right? And for people to understand what I had to say. Um, and, you know, I got like a little boot camp on, on PR and the agency world and how the holding companies operate, right? And, and that didn't take longer than six weeks. And I, I have to give a shout out to my, uh, my mentor, Pat Ford. Um, hey, Pat. But, yes, <laughs> Pat, he's, a, he's, he's awesome. And he's, he's a big in, the, in um, you know, into mentorship and sponsorship. And that's important too. You know, it's, uh, I just, I, I really can't subscribe to the philosophy that there's not enough folks in any, but, in any industry. But, but, but Carmelo, they're really, so the DEI initiatives that corporations are doing now, right, to first of all, benchmark and identify it, right, and say, hey, here's, here's where we stand, and, you know, obviously we need to improve. But you just talked about investment. We need to make an investments elsewhere. Investment in terms of looking outside of where we would normally look, but I think it doesn't it go deeper than that? Don't we need to start educating in the schools and kids ahead of time about these careers? How are we reaching, you know, um, you know, minority communities? I, I forget yeah. the exact word that we, yeah. we we were doing using these days, but it, it is, yeah. there's folks that are just underrepresented is the word I yes. was looking for. Yep. Yep. So, uh, it's a good point because uh, I'll tell you, I got into the STEM field because someone came into my high school and said, if you become an engineer, you can make a lot of money. And um, that was that was exciting to me. And I didn't realize that you could make a lot of money as a communications professional, too, because you can. It, it can be a pretty lucrative career. Um, but even growing up, I was told, you know, you're a, 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 a lawyer, a doctor or an engineer. That's the only way you can make money. No one said that you could go into communications and have a, not just a, a career that's lucrative, but one that's, um, you know, gratifying, right? Even if it's tiring sometimes, right? Um, so it's a good point. Are we, are we reaching out to folks in, in high schools um, and before they just make the decision to what they want to do in college? I don't know. I can't tell you any organization who's doing high school recruitment. I can tell you PRSA is doing a lot of support for 
uh, HBCUs and HACUs who have communications programs, making sure that those students, whether they have a PRSSA chapter or not, uh, have particularly the PRSA Foundation, which is um, right now led by Dr. Ariel Ellis, it's making sure that scholarships and grants go to um, to schools, whether they have the PRSSA uh, affiliation or not. Um, but are we going down to the high school level? It's important, I think. I don't know. I don't know of any organization that is, and I'd be happy to uh, to work with an organ. If there's someone who's listening who says I know an organization who's doing that, well, to do you that. Know, it's not in the DAA scope, but yeah, it's, it's a good thing. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's less diversity and more industry focus, like STEM camps, right? So there's a lot of people who venture in science, technology, engineering, right. and math. And so now you have these STEM schools and trying to get people towards that. Um, nothing's aimed at bringing up underrepresented groups at a younger level. I think yeah. there's a lot of there's conversations, particularly here in California, particularly here in the Bay Area, making sure that everybody has a chance to it. But I'm not sure that that is spread like peanut and butter. And like you said, Carmel, like, you know, you, you, nobody ever talks about like, mm -hmm. hey, get into PR, get into comms. That's a great opportunity. There's a great career path for you there. Like that, that's, I, I wouldn't <laughs> say, you don't, you don't hear that a lot uh, ever, right. but, uh, but like I, I don't even think Kevin says it. <laughs> no, I wouldn't, you never catch me saying that. Um, but, but what you no would catch me saying is like, get, they want to be when they grow up, no one ever says, I want to be a communications professional. I want no. to be in PR. They say they want to be a firefighter, an engineer, a lawyer, do. a doctor, but like, you know, it's just, they don't realize that being a PR person is the same thing as being a firefighter. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, no, I think you're right though. Like get, getting into tech in general or getting into whatever industry, it's actually not a, it's, it's not a huge step to get to the comm side. It really, what the comm side is, is understanding the business, understanding the industry, understanding the issues and being able to communicate clearly about that to whomever and whenever. That's what, you know, comms is all about. So it, it's really, you know, understand the industry and then it's it's a pretty it's a pretty short hop to the, uh, to the comm side of things. Yeah. Yeah, I'm taking a note on this, David. It's a good idea. You know, in, uh, uh, in like, in cities that have underrepresented um, populations, there's a, a ton of urban and metropolitan areas that have like science high schools. They also have liberal arts high schools. It's, you you might have just sparked an idea there. I, I wrote it down because I, I'd like to figure out if there's, if there's no one already doing it, how can, how can we inspire that movement? Well, because, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like if you think about it, I mean, it doesn't have to be corporate communications. It's storytelling, right. it's storytelling, right? right? It's yeah. presenting, right? It is interacting with people. So. There might be a possibility for that. So uh, mm -hmm. hopefully, I, hopefully I sparked a movement today, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at you. Hey, you take the rest of the day off. Yeah, I'll take the rest of the day off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Carmel, this has been a great conversation. We, we're going to move on to the fun stuff here. We're going to play a little bit of games with you. We do this for every show. We're hoping uh, that you can play along. And Kevin is a guy who puts these things together. And I think you see it up on your screen here. Um, uh, Kevin, you want to take it away here? Sure. You know, everybody's been picking on Facebook this week, Dave. So I thought, why not us? Yes. Uh, let's, let's get in on the act. You know, uh, we, we haven't been kind to social media or Facebook in particular on this show. I don't plan to start now. So I, I figured what I found are some, uh, so this has been a bad week, obviously for, for Facebook for a number of reasons. They had huge outages and uh, this uh, one of their former employees is, uh, you know, testifying before Congress and, and ripping him to shreds. So what I found is a, a few quotes uh, 
I found a few quotes, and I think I messed this one up right here. But anyway, I found a few quotes that were in the news this week, and I thought I would read the quote, and you guys could tell me who said it. That's the name of the game. Who said it? Okay, I'll give you multiple choice to make things easier. Does that, uh, does that make sense? We're both yeah. playing? Sure. Yeah, All right. you can both play. All right, so the first one, uh, this one is, quote, many of the claims don't make sense. Many of the claims don't make sense. So this was either said by Sheryl Sandberg, Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, or Elon Musk. I know. I'm going to go with... Carmela gets to go for... Go ahead, Carmela. Yeah, I, and I'm purely guessing here. Uh, I'm going to go with Jack Dorsey talking about Facebook's claims. Okay. Uh, it, it's Zuck. I know it because I read it and I was like, oh my God, this guy's tone deaf. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, that one is Zuckerberg. Yes, he is tone deaf. It could have easily been said by Jack Dorsey, uh, another social media apologist, or or maybe in this case, he was trying. You thinking he was slamming Facebook, which right. might make sense as well. Jack yeah. is Jack is one hundred percent better than Mark. Okay, mm-hmm. at least. But well, when you're one hundred percent better than zero, what does that make you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay, uh, this next one, I I, I must have. Okay, we're going to move on to, uh, yeah, I didn't provide enough multiple choice options for number two. So we're going to go to number three. Here we go. Uh, until the incentives change, Facebook will not change. Left alone, Facebook will continue to make choices that go against the common good, our good. This was either Barack Obama, John Stewart, Amy Kobachar, or Francis Haugen. You go first, David. It's Francis. I've been following this like crazy. We all listened to it this week. So those are a couple of softballs. Those are easier. See, we said we don't like, you know, Facebook on this show and I'm on it every other hour or so. Oh, God. And we've been, we've been, um, Kind of going off on it, but this we might week, need to turn this into an intervention. Right? This no, no, but like, listen, listen, like sixty minutes, and some lady's gonna like be a whistleblower on Facebook. Yay! And oh then they're boy. down for six hours on Monday. I was all over it. I've been, uh, been tweeting crazy about it. So they need some fixing over there. So yeah, they do. Go, two Francis. More. Yeah, it's Francis. You're right. That was easy. Okay, two, two more for you. Uh, Zuckerberg used to come to my house to kiss my ass, and I'd say, "Oh, that's nice." I have the head of Facebook coming with his lovely wife. Who said it? Jeff Bezos, Tim Cook, Donald Trump, or Richard Branson? Um, Make a case the, for all through, four of those. Right, right. right. Go, go through the, um, the list again. Sure. It's either Bezos, Jeff Bezos, Tim Cook, Donald Trump, or Richard Branson. I don't know. Donald Trump sounds like. Dave, how about you? I can't imagine anybody else saying that besides Donald Trump. <laughs> the egomaniac himself, exactly. It was Trump. He actually said Zuckerberg used to come to the White House to kiss my ass. Oh, my so, God. So, yeah, uh, a couple of, <laughs> couple of uh, plums right there. Okay, um, last one. Today, a Senate Commerce Committee sub, sorry, Senate Commerce Subcommittee held a hearing with the former product manager at Facebook who worked for the company for less than two years had no direct reports, never attended decision meeting, decision point meeting with C-level executives and, uh, and testified working on the subject matter in question. Okay, that was either A, Peter Thiel, B, Lena Peach, who's the Facebook Director of Policy Communications, C, Adam Masiri, who's the head of Instagram, or D, the devil himself. Definitely D. <laughs> <laughs> Dave? 
I think it's that policy person or whoever it was. It is, but might as well have been the devil. Lena <laughs> <laughs> it, the sentiment is the same, dude. Like yeah, it's falling yeah. through that. Well, I had to try to make these challenging, so I figured I'd give you basically the same person four times. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so that's the who said it game. Uh, I have this one other quick thing that I, I found this list of the biggest uh, Facebook PR gaffes of 2020. And I thought, you know, this would be a really long fucking list, right? And it was like 27 <laughs> items or something like that. But I picked out a few that I thought were uh, representative. As, as uh, You know, so I, you tell me, I'm just going to read some of these. And you tell me basically how bad on a scale of one to 10, each one of these things are from a PR standpoint. Okay. Wait, we'll 10 being the worst? 10 being uh, the worst? 10 being, yes, 10 the worst. 10 is definitely the worst. All right. The all, first Hannah, one, all of it. <laughs> all of yeah. It. Yeah. 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 Exactly. All right. Um, a glowing article about Facebook entitled How Facebook is Helping Ensure the Integrity of the 2020 Election appeared in Teen Vogue magazine when a sharp eyed people, when the sharp eyed person started questioning the authenticity of the article, an editor's note suddenly appeared stating, This is a sponsored editorial content. <laughs> I didn't hear the Carmela, how bad, how bad a PR gap is that? That's pretty bad. That is, that's, that's gotta be a nine or a 10. Uh, yeah, tough to be. <laughs> Dave? Uh, I'm gonna let Carmelo handle this. I, and I might jump in where I want. So okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that one's, that one's bad now, but, but this, this next one's tough too. According to a headline in, uh, in business insider, now insider, uh, the headline was a Facebook employee reportedly blow dried Mark Zuckerberg's armpits before he gave speeches. What? How, how bad is that? You know, I, I don't think it, if I was a, even as a regular consumer, if I read that, if that would concern me at all. That's, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's certainly not a great headline, but you just keep I don't think it. it's going to bring Facebook down either. So. Yeah. Wait, 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 is that, that's a true headline or? That's a, I'm afraid so, Dave. That's where we're at now. That's where we're at now. That dude must sweat. <laughs> yeah i mean on the one hand i get it but uh on the other hand you know like nobody's nobody's blowing hey, my armpits I mean, to, 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 his, to his defense before people get on stage there's all kinds of weird shit going on dude like either uh-huh. makeup powdering i i was with one very high level executive and he was doing knee jumps in the air to get himself pumped up right like just had his hands up by his chest and then taking his knees and trying to hit his hands and i thought that was crazy and but he went on stage pumped so hmm. and at least um mark never saw him let, let him see them sweat so <laughs> those blow dryers. you gotta do you gotta yeah, do whatever I thought it maybe, maybe a euphemism for something yeah. like you know he's he get you know he's got to be nervous every time he gets out and has to speak on a public uh yeah he's come a long way though I'll give you one more and then uh then we'll play rep fire fur and uh and get on our way here uh independent civil rights auditors handpicked by Facebook two years earlier issued a 90-page report which made it clear that Facebook's policies constituted, quote, significant setbacks for civil rights and facilitated voter suppression. The audit was reportedly a pet project of COO Sheryl Sandberg. That's pretty bad. I, uh, unless it's like a twelve. They, they it's a twelve. <laughs> unless they took that report to heart and did something with it, which I highly doubt. And I'm, I'm sure it was a backfire. And I'm sure that's not what uh, Sandberg expected. <laughs> yeah, no question. I, I think they stashed that report and, uh, and and tried to forget about it as quickly as possible. 
Um, and, yeah. and there's like 30 more on this. Damn, there's 30 more on this. It's a long, it's a long article. It's uh, it's super disappointing. Yeah. And, uh, and and yet that's Facebook what still lives, and David is on it every hour. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. It's a problem. I was like so happy that it was gone on Monday, and that night I was like, oh, let me just scroll Facebook really quick. <laughs> Um, all right, so our last game, Carmel, we play this, we try to play this every week. We call it Rep, Fire, and Refer. Uh, we're going to give you three names. Uh, of either, you know, I think they're people, essentially, on this list that Dave came up with here, and you have to represent one from a PR standpoint. You have to fire one from a PR standpoint. You have to refer the other. Rep, Fire, and Refer. Okay. Dave, go ahead. All right, so you're aware of Francis H- H- Hagen, who uh, spoke this week um, in front of the Congress. Yep. About she's the whistleblower. Yes. Right? She's, so she's the whistleblower. Yep. That's the first one. And then there's Andy Stone, who's the comms guy at Facebook, who tweeted out all week long trying to um, discredit Francis, saying one tweet read, just pointing out the, the fact that Francis Hagan did not work on child safety on Instagram or research these issues and has no direct knowledge of the topic from her work at Facebook. Uh, He ended up going further (laughs) and some articles were written about him. And then there was the one social network site that was up this week that's popular was Twitter. So Francis, Andy, or Twitter, rep, fire, or refer. All right, I'm gonna start with the easy one, which is fire and that's Andy. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that needs an explanation, but um, he is like the antithesis of, of a good comps person. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially in, uh, you know, in a week where Facebook is kind of in crisis. That's, yeah, uh, you know, I think corporations try to hire, he comes from the government side, and I've had some experience with that, and it can get ugly and drawn out there. We've seen national elections happen, and he's trying yeah. to take this down here, but they're reading the room wrong. I mean, like, nobody's believing Facebook right now. Nobody right. is. I guess, I guess somebody has to have that job, but that that's just, you know, there, I can't imagine working at that company in that role. That just, it seems well, like. He's, try, he, he's trying to discredit a credible witness, but now he's the story. You never yeah. want to be part of that story. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 And just, you know, basic, basic principles around, uh, you know, interaction with your stakeholders. I mean, he's just, I, I just, I don't know. He's giving me us, uh, what the, is this Sean Spicer? He was the president. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a little Sean Spicer vibe. Right? Yeah, so, right, right uh, when you said basic principles, I think you lost you lost him, right? I mean, I think to, to have that job for that company or Sean Spicer's job for that matter, you have to kind of yeah. abandon basic principles. That's the first yeah. first criteria. Very good point. Very good point. Uh, okay, so rep uh, and refer. I think, you know, I, I like to refer good clients, right? I think Frances Haugen, she's, she's, you know, she's got great potential. I think she really communicated really well in front of uh, in, in, in front of Congress this week. And um, I would like to refer a good client. So I think she'd be good. Maybe with a little media training, she could be a great spokesperson for, you know, some activist groups. So I'd refer her. Um, and then rep would, I guess the only one left is Twitter. I think Twitter obviously is, is doing uh, worlds better than, than Facebook right now. <laughs> And uh, they'd probably be pretty fun to, to work for. And I also think they want to be on the right side of history. Twitter does uh, actually does a lot of work um, around social justice and making sure that they are uh, really policing what's, what's coming out, not from a, a censorship perspective, but just from a, you know, 
what's what's right, what's decent, what's legal. A, mor- a moral perspective, <laughs> yes, right? What's, what's moral, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I would I'd rep Twitter. I think they they have um they've got a good more a decent moral compass to where I could feel, you know, pretty good representing them. Well just uh, yeah, I, I send send some referrals my way, Carmela. If you I was gonna rep Francis. <laughs> yeah, I was like, hey. <laughs> So, well, hey, thank you for being on the show. This is a conversation that we've been wanting to have. This is a conversation that we can need to continue to have, honestly, um, not just here, but in the industry uh, to, to get more underrepresented groups in positions that um, where they should be, right? Leadership. Which is almost That's everything. right, in leadership, yeah. exactly, yep. All right, uh, Carmela, you have a song. You want to tell us a little bit about it? Because our guests get to pick a song. And I think you wrote a note on it. That's all you got to say. Yes. You don't have to describe it. All. I did. <laughs> yeah. I did. I, you know, I, um, I work a lot of hours like anybody who does an agency. And um, sometimes because I'm doing diversity work, it can be really fatiguing, particularly because there's still people who believe that it's not important, that it's going to go away. Uh, and so this song, Good Days by SZA, she's, um, she's a... Uh, like a contemporary R&B artist. And um, it's a song about hope during dark times because sometimes it can feel very dark being a diversity person working with a, a huge target audience that that doesn't necessarily, you know, a lot of them are um, baby boomers or silent generation. They came up at a time where things were just different and um, not all of them are convinced yet. Not all of them are as open-minded and they're leading companies and organizations. So sometimes this song just, you know, at the end of the day, when I'm got my glass of wine and I'm uh, opening my computer back up after I put my kid to bed, uh, this hat this helps. Picks you up. Let's all right. It. Thank you. Hey, thank Carmella, you again. thanks for being on the show. All right. Thank talk you to y'all soon. Doing what you're doing. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Take care, y'all. Honey, where's now? Got me bummed out. You so, you so, you.